All right, what I want to do tonight, um, we've been looking at the parable that has been called the whole Bible summed up in one story. The parable of the two lost sons. And last night we looked at the younger brother's lostness, and tonight we're going to look at the older brother's lostness. And remember the context, it's in verses 1 and 2. Jesus is telling the scribes and the Pharisees this parable. Why? Because they're grumbling that he's warmly welcoming and associating with sinners. Which means he's, messed, he's meddling, welcoming messed up people. He's accepting, he's embracing, he is fellowshipping with people that the religious leaders would never associate with, would never embrace, and would never get close to. The Pharisees, they look down upon these kind of people. Why? Because they think they're better. So they elevate thinking we're better than them because we haven't done or don't do what they do. So they don't accept people like this. They don't associate with people like this. So I want this to sink in. The Pharisees are grumbling because Jesus attracts outcasts. Broken, sinful, immoral, messy, unchurched people who are rejected by the religious leaders are attracted to Jesus. They want to be around Jesus. Why? Because Jesus wants to be around them. And he doesn't make them reform their lives first before he will accept them. So, for those of you here who profess to be Christians, I have to ask this question. Are broken, messed up people attracted to you? Or do you repel them? Do messy people flock to you? Or do you judge them, causing them to think, I don't even want to get near somebody like that. And I'm going to say this as nicely as I can, and my wife's going to kill me for saying it. <laughs> um, having a church filled with older brothers is not a good thing. In fact, it'll do more damage to a community than a strip club would. And yes, I said that. And yes, you heard me say that. And this parable shows us why. See, Jesus does not pull any punches with this parable. He shows us that the good brother, the moral brother, the older brother is actually more lost than the immoral younger brother. And the point of this parable and why Jesus is saying it to the religious leaders is this. Sinful, broken, messed up people are attracted to me because God is the Father. And they're repelled by you because you're the older brother. But here's something we'll look at when we read it, but I, I don't know if you've noticed this. The way that the parable ends, it's left open-ended. And that's on purpose. Which means we don't know if the older brother ever joined the party. Which means this is open-ended for us. To ask those who read it, older brothers among us, are you going to refuse to enter the feast of the Father's love? Or are you going to come to your senses and return home? 
So give your attention. We're going to look at Luke 15, just one and verses 1 and 2, verse 11, and then we're going to jump to focus on the older brother in 25 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. In verse 11, so he's telling them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. And if we jump down to 25 through 32. Now his older son was in the field. And he came and he drew near to the house. And he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things mean. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have slaved for you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him? And then he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead, and now is alive, was lost, and is now found. Let me quickly pray, and we'll jump in. Father, again, we just ask for your Spirit to do the work that He does, and that is He has to open our eyes to see the truth of your Word. We cannot understand and know your Word unless you reveal it to us. And tonight, as we look at the older brothers, we live in an area of the Bible Belt that is predominantly older brothers. And so I pray that you would convict where we need to be convicted, you would comfort where we need to be comforted, and that again you would open our eyes to the wonder and the amazement of your grace for sinners. And we ask that you would be pleased to do this for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so now last night we saw how God warmly embraces disobedient people. He warmly embraces immoral prodigals who come to their senses and return home. But because the parable doesn't end when the younger brother returns home, it means that's not the main point of the parable. <laughs> the climax and the main idea of the passage is with the older brother in verses 25 through 32, which means this parable that Jesus is telling, it's a warning to Bible-believing good moral people. Because it shows us that it's possible to be with God and yet be far from God. It is possible to stay close to the Father and yet be far from home. To see this, I want to focus on how the older brother responds to his younger brother and then to his father. First, he stays. <laughs> he does not go off searching for his younger brother. In the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, something is lost, and there is a desperate search to find what is lost. But in the story of the two sons, the older brother isn't searching for his younger brother. Why is there no search? Well, this is lost in our culture, and this is something that I've tried to teach my children, especially when they were younger. 
I tried to remind them how important it is to look out for one another, to make sure nothing happens to one another, and especially towards the youngest, towards Jonathan. Whenever we would go somewhere, I would say to David, I would say, David, what are you? And he would say, I am my brother's keeper. That's right. Now look after Jonathan. And then concerning Rebecca, his sister, I would say, what does daddy say? Nobody touches my sister. Yeah, that's right. And when they were younger, David took his job quite seriously. When I was the campus minister at Baylor, we lived in Waco. I was on the church softball team. And all the kids were playing. One time we had this tournament. They were all playing on the playground, which was near the field. And then during the game, Rebecca comes running up to me. Daddy, 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 that boy hit me. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? And I see David, boom, take off. <laughs> and David runs. He finds the kid. He tackles the kid. And I hear him saying, nobody touches my sister. <laughs> and I got to admit, it was beautiful. I was so proud. In Jewish culture, the oldest son is responsible for his siblings. He is his brother's keeper. And yet this older brother is not going out to get his younger brother. He's not looking for him. He's not pleading with him to come home. Which means the inactions of the older brother begin to reveal to us how he feels about his younger brother. He has no compassion for him. He resents him. And he actually disassociates himself from him. Verse 30, right? This son of yours. He doesn't even call him my brother. And then second, his inaction. It not only reveals the way he feels towards his brother, but it also reveals the way he feels towards his father. What the younger son did shamed the whole family. And the older brother doesn't care about his father's honor. He doesn't care about his father's heart. He's there witnessing his father every single day. Looking. Waiting, hoping, and being crushed when his son doesn't come home. Yet, what's the older brother doing the whole time while seeing his dad go through this? In verses 25 through 28, where is he? He's out in the field. He's, he's doing his father's business. He doesn't even know that his brother returned. And when he hears all this music, he sends a servant to say, hey, what's going on over there? Why all this commotion? And then when the servant tells him that his brother has returned home and his father has thrown him a party, he gets angry. He refuses to go in and join the celebration. And that's why the father had to go out to him. He's pleading with him to come in. And yet he still refuses. He will not celebrate with his father that his brother who was lost has now been found and come home. So which son is really lost? Which son is farthest from the father's heart? Can you see the punchline now? The one who left home to control his life in a district, distant country, he returns and he's closer to the Father's heart than the one who stayed. Because the one who stayed is really the one in a distant country and needs to come home. See, the older brother's lostness, it may be different than the younger brother's lostness, but they're both running away from the Father. 
The younger brother's running away because he wants to control his life and saying, basically, Dad, I don't care what you want me to do anymore. I want to do what I want to do. And, but I need your stuff and I want to get away from you to rule my own life. That's outward. That's visible. Everybody can see that rebellion. While the older brother's running away from the father, it's inward. It's hidden. It's harder to detect because it's masked by his goodness. It's masked by his morality. So what's Jesus teaching us here? It's possible to be with the Father and yet far from the Father. It's possible to be about the Father's business and do everything that he commands and yet be distant from the Father's heart. Which means you can go to church every Sunday. You can serve and be involved in the church. You can carefully obey God and follow all the rules and live a moral life and yet be distant from and not truly know God. The one closest to the Father's heart is not the one who never does anything wrong, but the one who repents of his running and returns home. You see, the Pharisees, they think they're closer to God because of their goodness. And yet, it is their goodness that actually makes them more distant from God. See, their goodness causes them not only to distance themselves and then disassociate themselves from sinners, but it also causes them to distance themselves and disassociate themselves from Jesus. Why? We don't need Him. We can save ourselves. So, this parable, it's an exhortation for the lost son to come to his senses, to repent and return home, but this time it's not for prodigals to repent of their immorality. It's for Pharisees to repent of their self-righteousness. Because the Pharisees' goodness is more of a barrier to God than the prodigal's badness. And to see why, I want to, we have to look. We need to see the heart of the older brother. Even though he's running from the Father, it's inward, it's hidden, it's harder to detect. Jesus actually exposes it. In verses 25 through 32, Jesus exposes it. And here's the question. Why does, this, why does the older brother stay near the Father? Why does he obey all of his father's commands? He stays and obeys for the same reason his, older, his younger brother leaves and disobeys. He seeks to gain control of the father's stuff without wanting the father. See, in verses 28 through 30, his anger is directed towards his father and the way that he warmly welcomes the younger brother home. <laughs> Why is he angry at his father's love and grace for his brother? Look at verse 32. The father says, we had to be merry. We had to rejoice for this brother's of, brother of yours. Why? Because that's who the father is. The father is merciful. The Father is gracious. The Father is loving. And the older brother resents him for it. But why does he resent his Father's grace 
towards his younger brother. Verse 29 is a dead giveaway. He's angry and resents his father's grace because in his eyes, the younger brother doesn't deserve it. Look, he says. Notice he doesn't even address him as father. Look, all these years I've slaved for you. You, and I've never disobeyed your orders, and yet you have never given me a goat. Then when this son of yours, once again, not my brother, when this son of yours devours your wealth on prostitutes, when he comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? This isn't fair. He doesn't deserve it. I do, because I've slaved for it. I've obeyed you to get what I want. Are you beginning to see his heart? Are you beginning to see his thinking? In his eyes, the younger brother doesn't deserve the father's blessings because he hasn't earned it. While the older brother thinks, I have. Because I've slaved for it. The older brother is angry not so much at his brother's badness. He's angry because of his own goodness. He believes his goodness earns him the right to the father's things. He thinks that because he's being good and obeying that the father is obligated now to reward him and give him what he thinks he deserves. He's no different than his brother. He wants control of the father's things without the father. And now look at how he views his father in verse 29. He views him as a cruel taskmaster. All these years I've slaved for you. Which means what? He's obeying to get. He's not obeying because he loves his father. He treasures his father's things more than his father. Which means he's just like the younger brother. He too has lost and left home, but his heart is more distant from the Father because his goodness blinds him from seeing his sin. Question, why does he not go searching after his brother? Because of his goodness. He believes his brother deserves to be disowned, while he doesn't because I haven't done what he has done. Second question, why does he disassociate himself from his brother? Answer, because of his goodness. He feels superior to his brother because he performs better. Why is he angry at the father for welcoming his son? It's because of his goodness. He believes his goodness merits the father's blessing more than his brother's repentance does. And then last question, why does he refuse to come in and join the party? Answer, it is because of his goodness. His goodness has alienated him from the father's heart. He doesn't even know the father's heart. His goodness is more of a barrier to his father than his brother's badness. Why? Because his goodness not only makes him resent his father's grace, 
but it makes him think he doesn't need his Father's grace. And there's one more thing that I want to point out to you. One more reason why the older brother stays and obeys the rules, and it's found in verses 29 through 30. You've never done this for me. These are the words of a son who doesn't know that his father loves him. The irony of the older brother is that he thinks that the father should love him more because he obeys more. And yet he's more insecure, not knowing whether the father loves him. And the reason why is because he still believes he has to earn the father's love. Even after the father had already given him his share of his inheritance. Because do you realize, when he divided the inheritance, he gave it to both sons already. Which means, everything that the father owns is the older brother's. That's why in verse 31 he says, all that I have is yours. He's already given him everything. Which means the father hasn't withheld anything from his son. He's already given him everything. And despite being given everything, he's still insecure of how his father feels about him. See, when you think God's love is based on your obedience, you will always be insecure. Always. Because you will never know if you've done enough. This insecurity, it leads you to do what? It leads you to compare yourself to others and to elevate yourself above them. Why? (laughs) Because that's the only way you can feel better about yourself. Well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. At least I didn't do what they did. We attempt to elevate ourselves and feel superior over others so that we can feel better about ourselves. And I want to give what I call a pastoral pause here. There are many in this room who equate Christianity with the older brother. And to you, I want to say this plainly. Christianity is not moralism. Your goodness does not make you more favorable to God. And your obedience does not mean that you actually love God. See, this parable shows us that Christianity is something completely different. It is totally based on God's grace, not on our performance. If it was based on one's performance, then only those who perform perfectly can get in. (laughs) Newsflash! Only one man in the history of the world has performed perfectly, and his name is Jesus. And because Jesus has performed perfectly, Perfectly, Christianity is now open to all who recognize that they need a Savior. It is open to all who come to Jesus to embrace His grace, which means Christianity is for sinners, not good people. And we're all sinners. So it's open to all. It is for those, in other words, who know they're lost, And what is its message? You can be found. Because God warmly welcomes those who know they need Him. He warmly welcomes those who embrace His grace. 
And then there are some of you here who are the younger brothers. And you've been surrounded by older brothers your whole life. You too have equated Christianity with the older brother. And maybe this is why you've been burned by the church. Maybe this is why you are disillusioned with the church. Because you've been judged. You've been rejected. You've been, made you to, you've been made to feel like you're a subpar human being or Christian because you don't struggle, because you struggle with sin in a way that others don't. I understand why you would want to run away from home and get away from older brothers. And I would say to you, yes, run away from older brothers. But don't run away from Jesus. Because he's not like that. Jesus will not condemn you. Jesus will not judge you. Jesus will not cast you out because of your sin. Return and run to Jesus no matter what you have done or no matter what you are presently, continually doing. Because He will take you back. He will warmly welcome you. Now, by showing us what a bad older brother looks like, gosh, doesn't it make us long for a true older brother? Someone who says to his father, my brother's been a fool. He's made a train wreck of his life. But I will go. I will search for him. And when I find him, I will bring him home. Because he blew his inheritance, I will give him mine. He can come home at my expense. I will absorb the debt and pay it so my brother can be pardoned and forgiven. Jesus left home to become homeless in order to bring back prodigals and Pharisees. And gosh, and don't you see that in this parable, Jesus is not resentful of our running. He relentlessly searches and he will not rest until he finds us. But to find us, he had to go to the distant country. To find us, he had to pay our expense in full. See, on the cross, Jesus gave up everything to absorb our debt. He experienced the famine of God's wrath so we could enter the feast of God's love. As our true older brother, Jesus' life and death, it pleads for us to come to our senses, to realize our need for His grace, both for our badness and for our goodness. So older brothers, 
Are you going to embrace Jesus' grace? Or are you going to refuse because of your self-righteousness? Let me pray. Father, this parable is a warning to Christians. It is a warning to those who say they need Jesus but then live as if they don't. It is a warning to those who think, I'm a Christian because of something I did, therefore I'm better than other people because they haven't done what I've done. No. This parable blows that out of the water. It's all grace. And all of us are lost and in desperate need of it. And so I pray you'd convince us of it. And the way you convince us of it is because we have a true older brother. A true older brother who searches to bring us back home. Who will not rest until he finds us. But when he finds us, in order to bring us home, he has to pay all of our expenses. He has to cover all of our debt. He has to do it so we could be pardoned, so we could be forgiven, so we could feel the freedom of now entering the feast of your love. Again, I can preach it, but I can't make it real. So would you, by your Holy Spirit, make it real? And we ask that you be pleased to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.